What's up, fam? This is bittersweet, but this is the last episode of the season and perhaps the final episode ever. All good things must come to an end, and moving forward, I have plans for something big, which will include a new podcast that I think y'all are really going to love. I can't say too much about that now. There are so many people I want to thank for this podcast. First, I'd like to thank the 10 guests we had over two seasons, Tommy Martin, Nahid, Michelle Nesky, the posh PA, Dr. Magnolia Prince, Kojo, Richard Brown, Chrissy, Austin Chang, Carlene Link, Zach at MD Motivator. You guys are incredible. I look up to all of you and I'm so honored to have you on the podcast. Second, I'd like to thank my podcast producer and best friend, James. Everything that you guys saw on social media, from the static photo to the promo videos, all of that is James. I don't have the skills to do that. I want to thank James for the late night calls, brainstorming sessions, being a damn magician on the back end, editing and making me sound like a pro up here. Thank you, man. I want to thank my amazing fiance, who is my day one most loyal and supportive friend. Thank you for supporting my dream. Thank you for being there with me through the good and the bad times. And thank you for believing in me every single day. I love you. Thank you to my family and friends, my parents who listen to every episode, my friends who have supported me from day one on this account, Sam, Ed, Roxy, Celeste, Hannah. I can't name all of you, but you know who you are. Finally, thank you. Thank you for listening to me, for taking the time out of your day to listen to this podcast. I genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, am so honored and blessed to have your support throughout this podcast and this journey. That's it, fam. Let's get into this last episode. This episode is different than any other episode before it. This episode features my great friend, Zachary Daranowski, aka the MD Motivator, one of the most motivational and inspirational medical students in the world. Him and I filled this podcast live and sold tickets for charity with 100% of proceeds going to Integrate NYC, which is a youth-led organization that stands for integration and equity in New York City schools. 100% of the proceeds went towards funding initiatives for education, for educating disadvantaged youth, such as programs for coding, activism camps, and providing books for schools. The title of this episode is How to Get into Medical School, The Unfiltered Truth. Let's get it. All right, guys, welcome back to Destination Healthcare, the podcast to learn about your favorite healthcare professionals. They will be sharing with you their advice, their insight, and the lessons that they've learned along the journey. Our guest today is my friend, Zachary Darniowski, aka the MD Motivator. Freshman year, Zach obtained a 0.59 GPA and was actually required to withdraw from college. The dean thereafter stated, Zach, maybe college isn't right for you. Zach used this ultimate failure as an ultimate fuel. He returned to college, completed his remaining studies with a 4.0 GPA, scored over a 5.10 on the MCAT on his first attempt. Now, as a medical student at the highly regarded University of Sydney Down Under in Australia, he wants to continue to help educate, empower, and mentor driven students wanting to maximize their medical school aspirations. He is one of the most motivational and knowledgeable people I know, and I'm absolutely honored to call him a friend. Welcome to the podcast, Zach. Thank you, Jake, for having me. And thank you for that stellar introduction. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm super excited for this. So for, the, for, for you guys that are tuning in, this is going to be a little bit of a different episode than we've done before in the past. Zach and I are both in, in medical school, both medical students. Um, as, as many of you guys know, it took me two years to get into medical school. And I took the MCAT twice. Um, and I've really been through it. Zach, as I just stated, has been through it as well. And so what we are going to do today is going, if you are interested in medical school, you are in the perfect place right now. We're going to go topic by topic and give you guys everything we've got. And so um, without further ado, let's get started. And before um, we get into the topics, I wanted to do a, a disclaimer for you guys. Um, can you guys see that it went to the next slide? Yes. Perfect. Okay. Zach and I are not experts. Uh, I don't know if there is a medical school application expert out there. We have been through it and we learned things along the way that we wish that we would have known. And that's a huge reason why we started both of our accounts. 
Um, so I just wanted to be clear that we are not experts. We don't have certificates in how to get into medical school, uh, but we do know things from, from, from talking to people and from being through it ourselves that we'd love to share with you. What we say today does not represent the views or opinions of our schools or our employers. Um, if you guys have questions during this presentation, please wait till the very end, unless you want to be broadcast live on my podcast. Um, just wait till the end and we'll, we'll do uh, like a 20 minute Q&A at the end and we'll get all your questions answered. Um, if you do have a question during, you throw it in the chat, no problem. And if we see it, we'll definitely bring it up. Um, we just want to thank you so much for joining today and for everyone that donated. So today we actually, um, this is a free event, but it was a donation, um, donation um, recommended for a specific charity that we are um, very supportive of. And we actually um, earned $261, uh, which is incredible because there's right now, you know, we're filming this on 628. So, you know, we're very much in the, um, you know, I live in Philadelphia and there's, there's constant protests going on outside. It's really a, a time of, of a lot of, of conflict and, and our, our country and the world is, is coming to a lot of um, conclusions and, and people are, are, hopefully things are moving in the right direction. So Zach and I really um, wanted to um, help support that. And so um, with all of your donations, that money is going to um, support the black and brown communities, particularly the youth um, with educational pursuits such as, um, you know, books for schools, um, camps over the summer, um, a lot of things like that. Um, so I just want to thank you guys so much. Okay, let's get started here. So number one, GPA, the ultimate crux of, of so many, including myself. I started, my GPA journey was a 3.9 GPA, 3.3 GPA, 3.4 GPA, and then I had to build myself back up. So, um, Zach, what was your experience like starting uh, in, in college, and do you have some tips for us for the GPA? Absolutely. So, one of the first things students always ask is, what should I be doing freshman year? There's really two things. If you're wanting to pursue medicine, two things. One, focus on having a strong GPA to start because it's very hard to recover from a poor GPA, and two, develop your passion for medicine. So, we're going to discuss, obviously, the first one right here about starting strong. So as Jake has already stated, at a 0.59 GPA in my first year, uh, failed at university. So no matter how strong my GPA was after that 4.0, my GPA was always anchored from the beginning. So there are some things, obviously, that I learned that I would love to express and have students do more of um, when I was 18 or 19. So active versus passive learning, right? We're going to go more into that probably into like how to study um, you don't need to be at the library 14 or 16 hours a day. It's about how you're using your time. Maybe we can go over maybe the Pomodoro study technique, maybe some Anki cards, um, less textbooks, more like flow charts and in Khan Academy videos and more trying to explain and teach others. Like there's, 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 there's so many better ways of learning. And I think surrounding yourself with the right people. When I was 18, I'm going to be quite honest with every single body, everybody here, I had no structure, so much freedom, and I was just immature. Um, it wasn't that I wasn't smart. I wasn't like an IQ of 0.59 GPA. I just wasn't um, giving it my best effort. And quite frankly, I didn't know what, what was the best things to do. So I think surrounding yourself with the right people, I think Jake can uh, testify to that as well. And that's kind of what his platform is on now. Um, and the active forms of learning, which we can discuss a little more. Sure. Yeah. And I definitely want to get into that active um, learning. So I, I got a couple notes here that I wanted to, to let you guys know. For, for those of you that are in college, I think one of the biggest misconceptions and myths out there is that you have to take a full course load every single semester, 15 hours. Some people were taking 17 hours and they're absolutely overloading themselves. So one of the best tips that I have is to utilize your AP credits, any sort of summer semesters. I, I went to school two out of maybe even three out of um, the summers of, in college because I was taking six hours of classes where I could focus only on those two classes and get A's in them because it's, it's, you have all your summer to really focus on that. So what does that mean that while your friends are maybe having fun and, and doing a lot of things that you wish you were doing over the summer, you buckle down and you, and you do well in those classes, but that's what it takes sometimes. So I would really utilize 
um, AP credit summer semester, study abroad if you have the chance. Uh, one thing I did want to really bring up here, guys, is something called the AMCAS course classification guide. This is something I always bring up, AMCAS, A-M-C-A-S, course classification guide. What this guide will tell you is which classes count as science GPA and which classes don't. Um, your science GPA is an important part of your application. And just to give you an idea, pharmacology does not count as a science GPA class, but botany does. So I only know this information because I have access to the AMCAS course classification guys. So to, so to every single one of you, just go to Google, type it in, and you can see based on the course if it's going to count or not. And you can utilize those classes to really help boost your science GPA if you need to. Exactly. And one more thing I want to say about GPA before we maybe transition to MCAT, because this kind of like bridges to the MCAT, it's about how to do well in your classes. Um, to do well in your classes means you have to do well in exams. How do you do well in exams? You practice. How do you practice for exams? You do the practice test, but more importantly, you're always doing practice questions. People always talk about test anxiety, lacking confidence, not performing to your ability. It's because you didn't do enough practice tests. You didn't do enough practice questions. You didn't simulate it in a library. You weren't in a cubicle. You didn't time yourself. You didn't uh, look at your phone for more than five minutes. You didn't use maybe the, the forest app on your phone. Like there's so many things you can do to simulate maybe that emotional experience so that way on test day, um, you perform to your best ability. It's just like practicing harder than you would on game day in sports. It's the same when it comes to tests. Totally. And, and, and when we say active studying, guys, versus passive studying, active studying is doing questions, is doing flashcards. It's, it, it should be painful. It's like, you know, you're getting them wrong, like, ah, and you try again, you try again. That's how you learn. So uh, a couple of things that we brought up here, the Pomodoro technique. What that is, is a, is a proven technique to study for a long period of time where you do 25 minutes on, five minutes off. 25 minutes on, five minutes off. You do a, take a 10 minute break and you go right back at it. And you can withstand, you can do that for an entire day. Uh, maybe not an entire day, but you know, 12 hours if you were trying to just crush studying all day, that's how you do it. The people that burn out are the ones that do an hour of studying and then take a 10 minute break on their phone and then do two hours. That's not the best way to study. So um, active studying, stop just reading the textbook, um, trying to absorb through osmosis and start doing more questions and try doing this 25, five minute strategy. The apps that I, I the app that I use is called Tide, T-I-D-E. And Zach, you said you use Forest? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, these are, these are Pomodoro apps. You can download for free on the app store. I really would recommend those. So I call it, I just want to say one more thing. It's called the Pomodoro triad. I call it. So it's like, you're going to do what Jake said. And what we are saying is you study for 25 minutes, take a five minute break. The second part of the triad is whether it's tide or full forest. So an app that's going to get you to force yourself to not be on your phone. And then the third part of the triad is the accountability. So you can be studying with anybody. So if you go with a friend, doesn't matter if they're studying pre-med or law or nursing, but if they're at the library for eight or 10 hours a day, you all, both you are going to be doing the Pomodoro study technique with your forest app and accountability of one another. And there's no way you're leaving that library that day without just being an absolute beast and getting what you wanted to get done. So I think those are three things. If you put them together, there's no way you're going to fail every day. Absolutely. And sorry, guys, I just realized I wasn't changing the slides here. So yeah, so the, the, the major takeaway here, um, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. One bad semester is not going to kill you. Look at Zach. Um, if you get you know a couple bad grades and a couple classes, it is not going to kill you. Uh, people ask me all the time, if I, I got a C in OCHEM, is, is there no way I'm going to be able to get med school? You absolutely can get into med school. Now, if you have 10 Cs, that's going to be very difficult, but you can always recover. Um, and if you have a low GPA, there are ways to compensate, and that's what we're going to get into right now with the MCAT. And for this, I'm mostly just going to stop talking and let Zach talk because he's, he's the expert here. Uh, he was an MCAT tutor, and he knows his stuff. I'll jump in after, but Zach, let's tackle the MCAT. Sure. Open the slide up just so I can see how you have the order, and I'll go for it. All right, so first and foremost, um, MCAT, who here in the chat is studying for the MCAT or thinking of studying for the MCAT or intimidated by the MCAT or just <laughs> you, give, me, give me some insight of where you guys are at. Me, okay, all right, all right. So <laughs> I think we're speaking to the, the choir here. All right, so you guys know what the MCAT. So it's usually a seven and a half hour test, but this year it's a little less than six hours, five hours and 45 minutes. Um, Long tests, marathon tests, how do you get good at tests? Sort of like we said with the, pre, with the GPA, you're going to have to do a lot of practice tests. But before you do a lot of practice tests, you're probably going to want to do a lot of practice questions. Who here has heard of UWorld? Put a one in the chat if you heard of UWorld. 
too if you haven't. Um, it's a really good passage-based learning resource. Um, not only is their questions good, but their solution manual is exceptional for you understanding the material in the big picture, picture concepts. So the question here is how long should you study for the MCAT? And I say, I say it all the time to any student that asks, and if you Google how long should I study for the MCAT on Google, the first, first answer, not even a link, the first like Google response is 250 to 300 hours. That is the average amount of time you should study for the MCAT. Should you study the average amount of time? Should you study 250 to 300 hours? Or do you think maybe I shouldn't be average? What do you guys think? I want to hear what people think because I actually get mixed <laughs> responses on this. Be better than average. But the other, so, the, so number one is obviously you want to be a little, if anything in life, just be a little bit better than average and you always progress. That's the truth. Um, but more importantly, no one in this chat, me included, Jake included, is average. Everybody comes from different backgrounds. Some are pre-med, non-traditional. Some took these prereqs three years ago, five years ago. Maybe English is your second language. This doesn't apply to you. That's just a, a, like an, an average. An average is everyone. So what you need to understand is don't compare yourself to anybody on Google, on Student Doctor Network, or Reddit. I think that's one of the most important things, first and foremost. Secondly, I think setting anywhere between three and six months is the ideal timeline to give yourself the best chance to max out your score. So three months being on the shorter end, if you may be able to do this full time and you come from a pre-med background and then six months, if maybe it's part-time you're working, um, English is your second language or you haven't taken the prereqs in a while. But I think usually after six months is the cutoff from when I see students starting to burn out. And if you study for the MCAT, and this is maybe your second or third time, you maybe understand what I'm saying. And if it's your second or third time, you know that active forms of learning, whether it's UWorld, whether it's third-party exams, like I work for Exam Crackers, there's Next Step, which is now called Blueprint, Kaplan, and then obviously the AMC material, if you've heard of it before, is the gold standard material that I always recommend students to purchase the last six weeks before their test to use. Um, what year do you take your MCAT? So that's totally dependent on if you're traditional, not non-traditional. So Jake, what do you think? You think between second and third year is the most ideal time in terms of writing? What would you say? Or taking it? Writing's a Canadian thing. Yeah, yeah. I'd never heard writing until I'm like sorry. <laughs> until I started this account. And I was like, what where is there a writing section on this thing? What I didn't the heck do is the English word. Like Yeah. Um, look guys, there's kind of two ways to approach this one. If you want to do like the traditional, which is now, uh, and for those of you listening, I just did like air quotes because it's not traditional anymore. In fact, more people take gap years than, than not these days, but traditionally people would take the MCAT in their junior year of college, their third year, um, about a year before they would matriculate. So they would take it, you know, April or May of their junior year, um, hoping that they would finish school and graduate and go straight into medical school. That was the um, common path. That's very, very difficult to do, and I tried that path. I, I wanted to go straight through. I just had my head down. I just barreled through, and I ended up studying for the MCAT uh, my junior year, second semester, from January to April. I was supposed to take it in April. I had to push it back a month, took it in May, flopped. Got a 27 on the old MCAT, which is equivalent to like a, maybe a 502, 503 on the new MCAT. Um, it's not enough. 502, 503 may get you somewhere, but it wasn't enough. And so then what I had to do is actually, um, I took the MCAT again, the new MCAT, when it changed the new version, uh, the next year, my senior year, fourth year, um, during the second semester of my final year of college, I was in the library studying for the MCAT while my friends were out having fun graduating. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, Zach, I think it depends on, on where you're at and, and, and if you want to do a gap year, I would actually advise taking it, um, after I would advise taking it your senior year or the summer between, um, the summer after you graduate and, and force yourself to take a gap year. One more thing I want to talk about. So actually there's two more things I want to talk about. So mm -hmm. when I talk about the MCAT, like, unfortunately a lot of students, they do end up retaking it and there's nothing wrong with that as long as you improve. But if this is your first time taking the MCAT and you're thinking about taking it, it should always be a one and done philosophy. You take the MCAT when your practice scores align with your goal score. If that means your admissions timeline's a little bit off, or your parents are asking when you're writing it, or your friends are confused why you're taking so long to write one test, 
so be it. The end game here is to max out your MCAT score, to max out your application, because at the end of the day, whether you apply in April or June, you better have a competitive application because there's gonna be thousands of other competitive full applicants. So that is first and foremost about when to write it. I think that should be addressed. Now, I like to think about the MCAT in terms of like this content strategy, like continuum. So there's four sections on the MCAT. And there's chem phys, which is the first. There's cars, which students love the most. And there's bio, biochem, and then there's psych, soch. So if you want to think about it in terms of content and strategy, I like to tell students always to start their MCAT studying with the cars section, the reading comprehension section, because essentially there's no content. It's 100% strategy. So if you get good at cars, you really get good at MCAT strategy, meaning your science section scores inevitably rise without even doing any science. So I think it's like a good backbone to have to start. So cars is 100% strategy. Then psych soch, which is on the other end of the spectrum, there's a ton of Reddit resources. So there's a thing called the 86-page Khan Academy psych soch document, 300-page Khan Academy psych soch document. And then there is obviously... Um, Anki, Anki flashcards, which we can go into more detail, but that is something that can be passively learned over a long period of time, whereas CARS is going to require constant daily review. So CARS, psych, social, half your test. Then in the middle, we have chem phys, we have bio, biochem. So these are going to require strategy and content. So Content, obviously, we are going to go over, like, obviously, active ways of learning, but strategy, these are going to be your, your U-world and your practice tests and collaborating with maybe other pre-meds that may be studying for the MCAT to address how to read a passage, how to highlight a passage, how to go through the answer choices. Those are going to be really important for your chem phys and bio, biochem. Does that make sense, guys? Does that make sense, Jake? That makes perfect sense, guys. Yeah, and, 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 and Zach, like, the verbal section of the MCAT is is such a fixable system you don't have to be a genius you don't have to know the biochemical pathways to crush the verbal section of the mcat it's about reps it's about uh, learning how to take the test it's about timing the smartest person who went to harvard to study english and uh you know he like he or she will know may know the passages there'll be some passage on like Aristotle, like it's the craziest passages that you see it has nothing. A lot of times has nothing to do with, with science. And I may be able to beat that person when, when my writing skills are subpar or average. Um, and my reading skills are, are average because I learned not to spend 12 minutes on the first section because I'm like so overwhelmed and it's, it's such a complicated topic. It's about taking the test. And, um, so one of the biggest techniques I use that was huge for me is Label that section. So, so you, you get in the test and there's going to be a, an immediate passage right in front of you for verbal reasoning. If this is so out, like, like not uh, concrete and it's, it's some subject that is so bizarre, you've never even seen it. And you, you start reading the first sentence and there's a word in there you've never even seen in the English language. That's probably going to be something I would label as uh, a killer passage. And I would literally just write on there K and I'd move on. And then the next subject would be like, how to solve a Rubik's cube. I'm like, okay, I'm like, this is going to be easy. I'm going to do this one right now. And then I, and so I would do that one. I would have skipped that one. That's impossible. I move on to the next one. The next one is like how um, Picasso drew uh, his art. I'm like, okay, I, I can under, kind of understand this. I, I know most of these words and I'll label that a medium passage. I'll just do it. Uh, and then the next one may be a killer. And the thing is you save those killers to the end because odds are you're going to miss those questions anyway. So you might as well crush the questions that you know you can answer and, and not waste your time. Yeah, triaging the passages is essential. And I think when you see that first passage, like Jake was saying in that crazy word, understand everybody else in that Pearson testing center thinks it's a crazy word too. Just they're tripped up <laughs> on it and they're wasting 12 minutes while you're already killing the Rubik's Cube passage, right? <laughs> like, come on. Be smart with it. And I think that comes from what Jake said as well, is the reps you put in. So one more thing I want to talk about cars, but I could go on cars for days, is should you map your paragraphs if you like write your passage? So one thing I want to say is highlight the what, write the why. So you highlight whatever is saying, like the content, but if you're going to actually map a paragraph, 
write the why. Like, because when we read as pre-meds or anything, we're always reading what is being said. Instead of saying what is being said, if it's Aristotle, Rubik's Cube or whatever, don't care what they're saying. Why are they saying it? Is it because they agree or they disagree? Is it an antagonist? Is there some tone? Is this about a main idea? Is this like an exception? Like big picture thinking. That's why Aristotle or Rubik's Cube actually doesn't matter for the most part because you always want to read beyond the text. I think that's really hard to do. But when you master that, cars will go up instantly. Um, but yeah, that's kind yeah, of Yeah, like absolutely. You nailed it. And, and, and I think we're, I'm going to end on this part here for the MCAT, guys. It is a short-term sacrifice. It is a horrible time. And I took the thing twice, guys. I took it twice. And I'm all, you know, I'm always, for those of you that follow me on uh, Instagram and TikTok, I'm always very real. So is Zach. Uh, very real, vulnerable about what we went through. I took this exam twice. I studied for eight months, four months the first time, four months the second time. It was brutal. I was miserable. Uh, but the first time I took it, I studied harder than the second time. The second time I took it, I got a higher grade. I got a 510 on the second MCAT, uh, which, like I said, on the first MCAT, I probably got about a 502, 503 if you, if you uh, equate the old to the new MCAT. I went up seven points and I, and I worked harder the first time. I worked smarter the second time. I did more active learning, uh, as in more questions. Um, I gave myself rest. That was huge. Just like if you're training for a marathon, you wouldn't run 20 miles every day. You will burn out. So uh, I took a rest day once a week. And so I would recommend you guys do the same. Uh, hopefully, you don't have to take it more than once like I did. But if you do, I'm telling you, it's worth it to take it again. So let's move to um, extracurriculars slash leadership. And I know everything we say right now is, is so crazy with, with COVID and you may not even get a chance. And we'll get, we'll get into shadowing here in a second. So now everything I say is um, in a perfect world where COVID doesn't exist. You've got to be flexible here. And, and while, I, while I'm talking about this and while Zach's talking about this, we'll kind of think about what we do in your position if you're not able to do some of these things because of COVID. Uh, but okay, extracurriculars are um, essentially clubs, organizations, anything you do outside of just, you know, the books. And these are crucial for your application. They make you unique. They um, give you an opportunity to lead, to do something, to take on a leadership position, lead a team. It, as a physician, you are a leader. And so it's important to prove those characteristics uh, and, to, and develop those characteristics early on. So my advice for you guys is, to, is to, it's quality over quantity here. You don't want to be involved in 10 organizations and never take on a leadership position. You'd rather be all in on one or two organizations. I was very involved in an organization that gave free tennis lessons to special needs children. That for me was amazing. I love working with children. I love tennis and I got a leadership position in an organization and I made some actual substantive changes in, in the organization. That's another thing is if you get a leadership position and you do nothing with it, you're wasting your opportunity. You should do something quantitative that you can discuss. Example, I was the, this is, this is me role playing here. I wasn't actually, I was the treasurer for AMSA. I increased the budget from $600 to $1,200, uh, effectively doubling it and allowing, uh, our organization to, um, schedule three more physicians to speak at an event or at, at our annual event. Boom. You've actually done something quantitative that you can discuss. You took on a leadership position. You led, um, Finally, don't do it for the resume. Um, it's really, it, it's, it's so obvious when you do something that you're passionate about. I could talk about that, that um, tennis club at an interview, and I did multiple times. But if I'm, I wasn't passionate about it, it would be really hard. And so it's just not worth doing it for the resume. Uh, and the last thing I'll say is, this is in my mind, this is like the golden ticket here, guys. If you can start an organization on campus uh, from scratch, if you and your friends can start an organization, I did it in medical school. I wasn't able to do it in college. If you're missing a club at your school, anything, a ballet club, a Rubik's Cube club, start it, get a leadership position in it. That is just, it's so cool to start an organization and, and build it from the ground up. Yeah. Like, like Jake said, like in the slide right there, quality leadership, golden ticket, don't do it for the resume. It all relates to one word. And he said, said in the slide too, passion. So what I tell most students to do is sit there and be like, okay, what are three traits or three things that I really like, or I think are really strong about me? Then I say, okay, with those three traits, what are three things in, out of each of those three, so three times three is nine, that I can go and use these traits to positively impact the lives of others? I leave it at that. And then if, if you're able to go and do one of those nine things, 
one, you're passionate about it. Two, if it's a long-term development, it can go places. Then you, when you speak about it, it's very authentic. It's a lot of quality. You're not a checkboxer. You're not trying to say, oh, I did this, 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 and this, but why'd you do it? And what benefit did you give to others from it, right? When, when, when it's authentic, you take it places. Anything you've been passionate in your life, you've been above average in. So why would you do something that you dread doing to hopefully impress others that you're not going to impress, right? Absolutely. And look, I'm guilty of, of doing things for the resume before in my life. I've definitely, you know, there's been opportunities where I'm like, I'll do it. And then when you're in it, it's like, it, it's, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth putting it on your resume, guys. And that's something I learned the hard way. Now, before anyone offers anything to me, and, and I'm in my last year of medical school, um, I've had a lot of opportunities, I will shut it down. If, it, if it's not something that really is passionate for me, because it's just not worth it. Time is so limited and uh, life is short. So you should do stuff that you're actually interested in. All right, let's move to shadowing. And this is, guys, this is the ultimate um, COVID squasher. I mean, how can you shadow right now? I don't know. You guys, you know, as we're filming, it's like we said, it's 628 right now. Um, things are surging in the wrong direction, at least in the United States. Uh, maybe I'll be listening to this in November and I'll be like, remember that COVID thing? But I doubt that's going to happen. And um, I think it's going to get worse and worse. And you're not going to be able to shadow um, in, in the US at least. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But when things improve, uh, you should start reaching out to physicians. If Here's the steps. Number one, do you know a physician? Reach out to them. Number two, like if, if like a family physician um, or a physician that your family knows or anyone in the healthcare field that knows a physician, those are your first people you reach out to. Next, I'd reach out to your pre-med advisor at your school. Some people don't have great relationships with those, with those individuals, but still I'd reach out because they have had other people come through the program and they may know physicians that you can shadow. Um, finally, you know, as a last resort, you can start emailing, um, cold emailing physicians around you, you know, wherever your, your city is, like uh, just Google physicians around me, uh, start sending emails and see if you can get anything. It's becoming more and more difficult to shadow because of HIPAA amongst a million other things. Uh, but the importance of shadowing is, is showing admissions committees um, that you're serious. Also, just exposing yourself to the, to the career of a physician because you, you may go into the OR, see your, the first cut of the scalpel, and pass out into the patient. And you may know right then and there, I'm probably not going to be a surgeon. Um, and so it's really important to, to, to see the specialty uh, before you decide to go into it. Um, and it's a huge opportunity to network and make connections because you may get a letter of recommendation from one of those physicians you shadow. I did. Last thing I'll say, this is a major key right here. You have to, okay, I'm not, not going to say have to, but you strongly should consider shadowing a primary care physician uh, because there's a shortage of primary care physicians in the United States in particular. And um, by not shadowing a primary care physician and only shadowing like a plastic surgeon or something like that, you may be sending the wrong message to, to admissions committees. That's me speculating and not even speculating, speaking from personal experience as someone that um, didn't shadow a primary care physician my first year uh, and getting just destroyed in an interview because uh, the school that interviewed me focused on serving primary care physicians or like uh, training primary care physicians. So they basically threw me out the interview window without a parachute. Uh, so shadow primary care physicians. Yeah. I think stacking the deck in your favor is essential. And like, so primary care physicians are under, under underprivileged communities or low socioeconomic status communities. That's a really large emphasis for most medical schools in helping prepare future doctors, because that's really where the country or North America is heading is, uh, having that scope. So why would you not go and do something that they're probably looking for? One, two, I think it would be a great learning experience as opposed to maybe shadowing a a plastic surgeon, you're not going to see things that are outside of maybe your bubble or your perspective. And to address one of Hannah's questions, she was saying, is shadowing for Canadian students an important part of the application? I said, it's essential for maybe personal development reasons of your why for medicine. But in Canada, it's actually much more challenging to get shadowing experiences. So it's not frowned upon to not have it actually. So keep that in mind, Hannah, um, and any other Canadian medical pre-med that's in this uh, chat. Okay, perfect. Um, so, you know, like I said, guys, with COVID, good luck. Do the best you can. But I would speculate that uh, admissions committees would be understanding of the inability to shadow at this time. If I'm a medical student, it's difficult for me to get into rotations as a pre-med. As a pre-med, it's going to be very, very difficult. And one last thing, sorry. Uh, I, I know Jake yeah, has said it before too as well. It's like we, we said the order of like the hierarchy of, of getting a shadowing position. 
all it takes is one, like Jake said before to me, I, all it takes is one. When you get one shadowing opportunity and you're in the hospital and you came early and you came with questions and you're talking to other PAs or nurses or other people in the OR, you're able to get different specialties to shadow. It, it, it just, it takes one. So don't quit when you get five or 10 rejections of emails. Just keep going because when you get one, you're going to get a multitude of them if you are doing it for the right reasons. Exactly. Hi, my name is Jake. I'm shadowing Dr. Smith today. Um, I had a great experience. I'm wondering if I'd be able to shadow you sometime next week. I'd love to set up a, uh, like I would, I would love to set up a time to talk more if you were interested. If not, I totally understand. Just, just shoot your shot guys. Um, it's hard to shadow, but that, that could be a, a, a connection, a network that you could then enter a letter of recommendation, um, a mentor. So go for it. All right. Um, and I know we're, we're going rapid fire, you guys here, but we want to give you everything, a little taste of everything, um, instead of just focusing on one topic. So thank you so much for everyone that's listening and that's, that's hanging in there. All right, research, guys. This is something that uh, most people will say is not required. Um, like this, the disclaimer we said at the beginning, you know, we're not experts, um, but I would, I would actually say that this is something you really should do. You really should do. Because um, not, not everyone does it, but if a lot of people are doing it, you don't want to be the person that doesn't do it. Um, research is very important uh, for a career as a physician or any scientist. Um, and so I think it's important to show that you are, um, and actually even besides the point of showing that you're interested, it's just important to learn what research is like and how to do research um, because in medical school, you probably are going to do research. And I think they, uh, admissions committees would like to see that you have some experience with research. So you do not need it, but I would really strongly recommend it. And one of the basic, biggest misconceptions is that, is that you need a publication. You do not need a publication. Most people just call these pubs. You do not need a pub as a, as a pre-med. That would be awesome if you got a publication as a pre-med, but you do not need one. You just need a research experience. So what a research experience is, is just that. It's an experience in research so that you have a, um, an advisor or a PhD, a doctor, and you, you go... And you, and you work with them in the lab or in the clinic and you get the experience and then you write about it in your research experience tab of your application. Uh, and so, you know, finally here, there's four reasons why you should do research. Number one, get the experience. Number two, you may be able to get class credit. I did. I got an A in a research on fungus. I was doing research on fungus. Yes, like a mushroom. We were doing something with it like... Uh, extracting some sort of toxin from it. You know, I'm not even quite sure. It's been eight years now. Um, but yeah, get the class credit, get the experience. Number three, get a letter of recommendation if you can. They will attest to your work ethic, um, your ability to you know, show up on time. Getting a letter of recommendation from a research advisor, awesome. Number four, possible publication. So experience, class credit, letter of recommendation, possible publication, I say do it. All right. Let's move. Do you have anything to add for research sec? Yeah, I think you, I think you pretty much hit it, hit it on the nail. I put the MSAR uh, website in the chat. So there's data there to back up everything you're saying in regards to the amount of students that have research experience in one way or another. Mm -hmm. So like Jake said, you don't want to be the one that doesn't have it, but that kind of goes back to the ECs. The, can you go back one, one slide for a sec? Is, is, is what yeah, you said? Sure. No, no, you, you can keep the research slide open. Sorry. The research. Oh, okay. Yeah, there we go. But, yeah. but it's relating to the EC slide when we talk about passion. So it's about, the experience you got out of it when you can explain it in your, your personal statement, in your extracurriculars, in your interview. The class credit, um, you're passionate. The A is going to be much more easy to attain. The letter of rec is going to be stronger. And the possibility of a publication, if you're passionate in it, is probably much more likely because you want to pursue this past maybe one semester. So make sure, like if someone's in the chat, what kind of research should I be doing? Research you're passionate in. That's what you should be doing if you're going to do it. I think that's a really important thing that I wish I knew I didn't have to be pipetting or there's, there's so many other forms of research out there. Um, so check it out, reach out to professors and find something that interests you. Yeah. And, and this is something that you can do during COVID guys. I wouldn't give up on this. A lot of research is online. A lot of research is on Excel, you know, tracking data and, and, and stuff like that. So I wouldn't give up on this because of COVID. Um, I would keep trying. All right. Letters of rec. You know, I mentioned that you can get a um, letter of rec from a research advisor. 
that is a great idea. Here's my, here's my recommendations. Here's my recs for letters of rec. Start early, guys, because uh, you don't want to be in your junior year, late in your junior year, your senior year, and decide you want to apply to medical school and have zero letters of recommendation. Um, the best letters to recommendation, in my opinion, are research advisors, physicians that you shadow that know you, a class that you got an A in that, you, that, that the um, professor knows you very well and can attest to your work ethic and your academic success. Um, a coach, let's say you're a student athlete or you know, maybe even your coach from, um, I think I got a letter of recommendation from my high school cross country coach. Um, people that really know you that can attest to your work ethic and um, attest to your academic abilities. Those are your, be your best letters. But I know it's not a perfect world and I know you may not have all of those that you need. So uh, you need an academic letter. If you had an A in biochem, in ochem, in gen chem, and that professor knows who you are, they don't have to, they don't have to know you in, in excruciating detail, but if they know who you are, I think it's worth getting a letter, and it could even be a, quote, academic letter, meaning they can attest to your academic abilities. They may not know you uh, very well personally, but if you need it, I would do it. You need, so you do need one from a, from a, um, science, a science professor. I'd get one from a science professor. And, and remember, guys, everything I'm saying right now is um, with my experience from applying to MD schools in the U.S. Um, so there's always that little bit of um, focus there. I just don't know a lot about DO, and I especially don't know a lot about um, other countries. Um, Zach goes to school in Australia. He's going to be able to tell you a little bit more. Um, I would get a, um, a letter from a physician as well, if you can, that you shadow. Um, you need to get a non-science letter. So. Um, I actually approached my English professor freshman year and said, um, hey, I don't, so actually I approached her my junior year because I realized I needed a non-science letter. And uh, I said, hey, I don't know if you remember me. My name's Jake. I was in your class freshman year. Um, I'd love to get a letter of recommendation from you. And she was like, who are you? I'm like, I don't, I don't even know who you are. Um, and so she said no. <laughs> so that hurt. And so for those of you guys that are like, um, wondering about like what would happen if they say no i know what it's like they say no and thank god they said no because that would have been a crappy letter um so shoot your shot and if they say no no worries at all just keep trying until you find something uh letters to avoid this uh you got to be careful who you get a letter of recommendation from especially in 2020 um i always say that you should be a little bit uh cognizant of getting one from like a fraternity advisor um you know, I'm, I was in a fraternity in college. Uh, I'm not saying that from like a, from like a stigmatized point of view. I just, I just think maybe that's not the best um, person to get one from. Maybe like a clergy member wouldn't be the best either just because, um, you know, you got to be careful with, with uh, you don't want to give off the wrong impression. And if that, that may work with 80% of people, but if there's 20% of people that say, oh, I don't really like that he got it from his rabbi, it's just not worth it in my opinion. So I would avoid letters that could be uh, political or could be um, stigmatized in any way. And then um, finally, you, would, you should ask for a letter of recommendation in person if you can, meaning you go to their office hours. But you know, during COVID and a million other things, you can set up a Zoom call. Uh, you just kind of want to do it in a more professional setting. Um, hey, um, Dr. Smith, uh, I worked really hard in your class. I was able to get an A. Uh, I'm really passionate about chemistry. While we wait for Jake to fix his audio, I can address a few things I wanted to say about research. So this is really important. Quality of relationship over the prestige of the person. So if you met Barack Obama, I can't hear you, Jake. I can't hear you. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't hear you. Um, so quality of relationship. So if you met Barack Obama in summer 2016 at some event and you can get him to write a letter of rec, I don't think that is going to be as... Uh, strong on your application as it'd be someone who known you for three, four, five years. So the quality of the relationship is very important. So Jake also discussed, um, when we talk about letters of rec, starting early. So if you guys have heard of a website, is it, you might want to research this or search it up. It's called Inter... I can hear you now, Jake, I think. Talking to the mic? Yeah. Yeah. Hello. Can hello. hello. Can you hear me? He's back. You're good. <laughs> I think I can hear you. No worries, Jake. So there's there's a thing, guys, called Interfolio. Um, who's heard of inter, Interfolio? Put a one in the chat if you've heard it, two if you haven't. Okay, so not a lot of students. So when we talked about starting your letters of recommendation early, you developed these relationships two, three, four years ago, and you still want a strong letter of recommendation. 
look into developing a Interfolio account. It allows you to store the letters, of, the letters of recommendation. So when you do need it in one, two, three years, it's there and it's not awkward when you ask them two years down the line and maybe they forget you or the relationship just isn't as strong. Get the letter of recommendation when the relationship is the strongest. Ideally, keep it long-term, but if not, Interfolio can store that and can release it. So look that up. I'll write it one more time in the chat for people who put twos there. Interfolio and the quality of the relationship over the prestige of the person. I think that's Can you guys hear me? You're back, Jake. You're back. I can oh, hear God. How, how long was I out for? Like 60 seconds. Well, it's okay. It's okay. okay. You, you didn't miss All much. Right. <laughs> well, hopefully you got – did you guys hear me talk about Letters of Rec? I heard everything, Jake, until about like 55 seconds ago. Yeah, everything. Okay, dope. And then yeah. I'm sure you recovered, so, and you talked a lot about letters. So um, should we move on from letters? Absolutely. Okay. Um, thanks, guys. Sorry about that. I thought everyone could hear me and no one could hear you. Meanwhile, I was just going off on a tangent, and it's hard for me to see the chat and everything. So anyway, thanks, guys. Thanks for being patient. Um, we just missed the tail end of what you said. Don't worry. Okay, cool. All right, let's talk about personal statement. Um, Zach, how are you on time? I don't want to keep you longer than you have to be. Um, as long as I'm out of here by 6, 10 p.m. Eastern, that's good. So we have time. I have 6, 17. Got you. Perfect. Okay, personal statement, guys. The most important essay of your entire life. I, I just wrote mine for residency. It took me four weeks. It took me a month. Um, and that, I'm used to them because I did them for medical school and I've done them for other things. But I would say they're, they're going to take three months probably of, of constant revision unless you're an expert writer. They take a long time. It's a story. It's not a CV. You don't want to list your accomplishments. It's about why medicine, why you? Why do you want to be a doctor and why you? Why particularly you? Why should they accept you and not Joe Schmo next to you? Um, you want to put yourself in the shoes of the reader. The reader, who's the reader? Typically, the reader is a physician or someone on the admissions committee that is going through these things, and this is their 20th of the day. And you don't want to just do a generic personal statement that's going to bore them. Exactly, Zach. Show, don't tell. Um, so the way that mine started was uh, – actually, I don't want to go into mine because it's a little too personal, but I'll give you an example of like how, how one should start a cool one, like a, a cool hook because a hook is essential. Um, let's say yours started like this. It was, it was dark outside when I saw um, my, my grandma on the floor. Um, boom. It's like, whoa. You know, she had fallen uh, because of her dementia. She had, you know, was struggling with day-to-day -day activities. Uh, you know, that right there is like, oh, this, like, this, like I want to read more. Um, so I recommend a hook and not everyone has a personal story. I, I wouldn't, I would never make up a personal story if you don't have one, but if you have a personal story, uh, I would recommend using it as long as you're showing, um, resilience and showing and not ever becoming the victim of that situation. Um, so I'd start really early. I would start, um, about a year out from, from when you're going to apply and just, you know, get started. Um, and I would bring in experts. Once you have your rough draft, which, which your rough draft should just be, uh, something that I call free writing, just going to town, typing, think, don't even think just it's, it's like 25 minutes a day of just, you know, just do one Pomodoro session of just typing, 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 whatever comes to your head. You can cuss, don't use the backspace, just type, just, just let your brain go. And you're going to start getting pages and pages of, of stuff down. Now the personal statement is only about 5,200 characters, give or take. It's like a page and a half, maybe, guys. And so you want to then start cutting all that down into one page, and that's going to take some time. Finally, bring in the experts, bring in people. Uh, I, I keep your circle small, three, four max. People that really know their stuff, like if you have a parent that's really good, um, have them proofread it. Maybe someone at your school, like, a, like an English professor, or some people have writing programs. Uh, one grammar mistake is a kiss of death. One grammar mistake. Using the wrong your the long, the wrong witch, the wrong there can kill you. So, uh, bring in the experts and yeah, that's uh, my best advice there for the personal statement. What you got, Zach, anything for, for PS? I totally agree with what you're saying. So it's like schools get five, 10,000 applications. You have to remember they have to find a way to cut off students quick. So if you make some grammar mistake or you put a different school name in a secondary application, you're giving them reasons <laughs> to eliminate you easily. 
because it's proven. There's proof there. I can eliminate you. I don't have to say anything else. That's, that's it. Move on. Um, one other thing I want to address, though, in terms of maybe my experience. So when you do your application, there is a spot for if maybe you had a academic rule. I forget the name of, name of the actual essay at the beginning of your application, but it's speaking about something you went through that's like a red flag on your application. So I want to, if there's a red flag on your application, so for me, I had a 0.59 GPA. So you want to say three things. One, address it. It's obvious. Address the issue, but keep that minimal. Don't talk about I failed, I failed, I failed. So bring it up one. That's the first. The second thing is what did I learn from? And I think that's very important to be maybe a little more heavy on. And then the third section of that, which I think is the most important is, okay, I went through this, I learned this, but what I learned, how did I use what I learned to positively impact the lives of others? So for me, I failed out of university. I, two is I learned how to study. Three, I worked for exam crackers and I traveled throughout the US and I spoke at pre-med conferences to help students and empower them. So I use my ultimate failure as ultimate fuel. So I think whatever it is, find ways to frame it in that one third, light third, second third, and then the third third to uh, project yourself. Because at the end of the day, medicine or anything in life is about positively impacting the lives of others. So it's empathy, it's communication skills, it's learning about yourself, learning about others. All those things get transferred throughout an experience that maybe is not non-clinical. Yep, you nailed it. Let's move to school selection, guys. This is critical. All right, here's five steps. Number one, when I say school selection, this is when you're actually ready to go. You've taken the MCAT, you're ready to go. You're choosing your schools. Choose what I call early decision prison or casting a wide, fragile net. Early decision prison is a binding contract between you and that school. You apply early and you cannot apply to any other schools and you are in prison with them. And if they allow you, they'll accept you and you're in. The pros of that is that you will find out if you get in really early and you have a higher chance of getting in if you apply early. The cons are you're waiting till I believe October 1st. You can't apply to any other school. Meanwhile, everyone else is applying to other schools. I've been burned by the early decision program twice. Uh, I applied two times in a row. Strike two, uh, I'm almost out. And then eventually, you know, once they released me on October 1st, I ended up applying to a bunch of programs. My advice for you guys is to cast a wide fragile net. I would apply to 20 schools, at least 16. I think the average this year was 16 schools. I'd apply to 20. Um, as far as choosing your programs, I would choose your state programs. I would choose any programs that you have any connections to. Uh, whether that, yeah, a connection could be that your, your aunt lives in California. Apply to a California school, you got family there. A connection is you were born in um, Austin, Texas. You were born there, but you never spent any time there. That's a connection. Apply to UT Austin. Uh, apply to any sort of programs that you have the smallest amount of connection to. And then do your research. Find schools that are around your GPA, around your MCAT, and apply. Uh, any connections you have, use them. Even if that means getting on the phone and saying and calling one of your mentors and saying, hey, I ended up applying here. Um, wondering if you could give me any advice or anything like that. You know, it could just take them reaching out and all of a sudden you get an interview. Um, secondaries. These are, these are um, uh, basically mini essays that a school will send you after you apply. And these are your opportunity to do a personalized miniature essay specifically for that school. So you can write, uh, you know, I was born here. I would love to return back home. You know, use, write your story and send those in quick. I'd recommend sending the secondaries in within a week. And then send updates, guys. Kill them with kindness. Uh, let's say you apply to UT Austin. It's been, it's been uh, four months. It's been dead silent. What you should do is email their admissions committee and say, um, hey, um, just wanted to give you a head. Uh, 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 I want to give you some updates on what I've been doing um, since in the last four months. I was able to shadow. I was able to do some research and this, this, this. I'm looking forward to the, the potential to be able to interview at UT Austin. That may be all it takes for them to look at your application again and say, let's interview this guy. Absolutely. I think another important thing with secondaries is making it personalized to that school. So don't go on their website, see their mission statement and say, oh, I align with your mission statement and then just plug in their mission statement. What this world we live in now is crazy social media. So in 2020, you can go on Instagram, search by location, find a second year medical student at the school you're wanting to attend and say, can I chat with you about 10 to 15 minutes about your program? So you can get first-hand experience, raw data that nobody else that just didn't, just was lazy and went on the website got. So you can actually speak about it. When you go on a website, you're only going to be wrong, right? Who knows if they're actually implementing those things? Who knows when the, the website was updated? So when you speak about those things, you're much more likely to make a mistake. So you want to 
personalize it to the school and maybe taking that next step, whether it's on Student Doctor Network, Reddit, Instagram, TikTok, like you can find medical students fast and they're always usually willing to help a pre-med out or a non-traditional student out. So I think that's an important thing to do too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Let's, uh, the last topic here is interviewing and then we'll answer a couple of y'all's questions. So look, interviewing is a beast guys. Um, and, and again, this in COVID, I don't know, you may be doing zoom interviews. If, I'll give you a 30 second zoom interview advice, purchase a ring light. I have one right now. The lighting isn't great here, but look at Zach. Zach, do you have a ring light? I got a ring light. Of course I got a ring light. Because I'm tick tick like yourself, man. Because <laughs> he's a TikTok legend. Look, guys, get a ring light. Get good lighting. Get the best Wi-Fi you possibly can. Sit in a room. Tell your parents or your dog. Like, do not, do not get near me. Give me this time. And you're all in on that Zoom interview. Um, it's going to be weird, guys. I'm going to be doing them too. But let's say that interviews, let's say that this, it's, a, it's 2021 and you're interviewing 2022 and, and COVID is a thing of the past. Praying, hopefully. Um, it's nerve wracking guys, no matter what, it's so nerve wracking. And if you get here, you're on the same playing field as everybody else. Um, the, the woman that went to Yale, the guy that went to Harvard, if you went to a school, like I went to university of Georgia, you're on the same playing field as them. If you made it to the interview, that means they, they, your GPA, your MCAT, MCAT checks out. They want to see what you're like in person, stand proud, represent your university, represent yourself, be yourself. Um, it sounds so cliche, but it's so true. As someone that's in, both interviewed students and have been interviewed, um, if you're not yourself, it's, it's so obvious. Let's say you get the question, so it's a, it's a Friday night. Um, you have the Friday night off, and um, what are you going to do? That may be a question you get in an interview. And so you have the opportunity to be yourself. So f- for me, what I'd say is, um, you know, I would love to hang out with my friends, see if there's a concert nearby. Um, um, just, you know, I love live music, so maybe I'll just go and have some fun with my friends. That's the truth. The, the lie would be I'd go straight into the books, and I'd already start preparing for the um, step three exam. Um, come on, that's not real. So, look, you, be yourself, and if, if you don't get in, at least you don't get in being yourself. If you don't get in being someone you're not, you're going you're gonna to hate yourself. Uh, overprepare like crazy, guys. Overprepare, do mock interviews, have people ask you questions that are outrageous, way harder than your real interview. Why do you want to be a doctor? Have that down pat. I know a lot of you guys that have seen me on TikTok, I, I do like, like kind of comedy bits about why do you want to be a doctor? Because um, some people just say like, I want to help people or I want to make a lot of money or something like that. Uh, that's like a textbook way to get thrown out of an interview. Have that answered down like the back of your hand. Everyone is interviewing you on interview day. Everybody, the person at the front desk, uh, the janitor, everyone is interviewing you. Be on your absolute best behavior. Show enormous interest into the school. Do your research like crazy. Have, have names memorized. Have programs memorized. Hey, I, w- I would love to learn more about the, um, the crisis response team you guys here have here at the medical school. I'm interested in emergency medicine. I'd love to learn more. Boom, that's enormous interest. After the interview, send a handwritten card handwritten card, send it to that, to the, uh, physician that interviewed you, whoever interviewed you, thanking them, bringing up one thing that you guys talked about in the interview. Uh, and that will make, that'll be so memorable. And most importantly, guys have fun. And then that sounds cliche too, but it's the truth because you may, may meet people on your interview day that may end up being your best friends later on in life. I've been to, I've been to a wedding from a guy that I met, uh, who ended up becoming a good friend of mine from interview day. I just went to his wedding and he married, uh, one of my other friends that was also in medical school. So it's a small world and, uh, enjoy the experience. I couldn't agree more. So what Jake was saying about like, maybe like asking about a crisis team. So in your pre-med years, you were passionate. So you volunteered in the emergency department. Then you enjoyed the emergency department so much. You started working as an EMT and maybe a scribe or at a trauma one hospital. And now with that story, that's why you're interested in the crisis team opportunity that this school has. So it's about creating that longevity, even when you're in the interview process about pursuing future uh, opportunities in medical school that they have. So it's another important reason for doing this long-term passion. Absolutely. It always comes back to that, to passion. That's, that's a secret to life right there, guys. All right. So um, some closing thoughts here, guys. <sighs> social media. Um, if you have a social media account where you are out with your friends um, drinking beers on a, on a Friday night um, and it's not a professional account, I'd, I would private it when you're applying to medical school. 
Um, this is my recommendation. This may not be everybody's. If you have a social media account that's very um, professional and shows you at your best, and you know maybe you have a Twitter where you're talking about medical concepts, and you're 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 um, you have mentors in the field, and and you're a part of the conversation, but not too much, keep it. I'd keep it because it can show you in a positive light. Um, but if it, there's anything negative, I'd delete it. If you don't get in, you could always apply again. It took me two years. I got denied by 25 medical schools before it worked out for me. Do not quit. If this is something you want, do not ever quit. And believe in yourself, even when it feels like everyone else doesn't, because at the end of the day, you got to bet on yourself in this life. Zach's a perfect example of that. I'm a perfect example of that. If we would have given up, we would have never been here right now talking to you guys, talking to all you guys on the podcast and all you guys right here on the Zoom panel. Um, and so my, my biggest advice, guys, is to bet on yourself no matter what. Zach, you got any final thoughts here? One of the biggest things I learned throughout this whole process, whether it was pre-med or MCAT or now med school, it's, guys, it's not about your IQ. It is not about how smart you are. It's about working smart. It's about holding yourself accountable. It's about creating long-term relationships with people that you look up to or that you're mentors and following your passions, like we've said. So if you want to do medicine, you want to be a doctor, how many people we got here? 36 people can be going to medical school. Every single person can go to medical school. It, that, that's, that's the truth. And I wish I knew that and believed that earlier on, but I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Katie, Mays, Hannah, April, Danny, everyone, you can do this. And I look forward to watching your journey unfold. Zach, thank you so much for coming out today for episode 10, the season finale of season two, Destination Healthcare. Uh, it's, it's great to get to know you, man. And I can't wait to see what else you've got in store. You guys can follow him on TikTok and Instagram at MD motivator. Uh, it is true. He is truly the most motivational guy. I know creative and inspiration. I just want to thank you so much for coming out today. Thanks, Jake. Thanks for having me, my man. I say the same thing about Jake too. So appreciate it, bro. All right. Let's answer some questions. Uh, right? That's what we're here for. Yeah, let's do it. And, you, and if you got a split, you know, like I can, I can take I got, questions. So let's do, I'll do a three minute, three minute Q and a, if there's like three. Cool. Minutes. And then I'll stay on for 10 more minutes for, for you guys. So, um, let's, yeah, let's get started. Okay. What's your advice to never need ask questions? Sure. Is the audio sorry, um, sorry. Sure. We'll do a little bit of both. Let's, um, let's do this question here and then we'll get to yours and then we'll, we'll kind of just jump around. What's your advice to never getting the basics of your prereq classes? I completed all the about him, but I never really learned the basics just enough to get through the class at that time. It's killing me to worry about relearning all these subjects for the MCAT. Um, great question. Jake, what's your thoughts on that? About relearning the basics to do well in the MCAT. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's, a, uh, that's a tough concept because it's like, you know, you get to studying for the, o M for the MCAT and you look into the OCHEM section and you realize you forgot everything about OCHEM. Um, and so that's where you can't do too much active learning early on. You have to do a little bit of passive to build a little bit of a base. Then you can start nailing the topics down. So um, for me, that's like going through Khan Academy, which is a free resource online and just, and like remembering the basics and then doing active learning on top of that. So my best advice for you guys is kind of just kind of rebuild that foundation in the first month of your studying for the MCAT. So then you can start nailing the active learning. So Christian, I have, a, I have a piece of advice for you too as well. So say if you get an orgo textbook from Kaplan and it has 12 chapters and you're not really familiar, you haven't touched up on it, what I'd want you to do is for each of the chapters, spend five to 10, once you've gone through the chapter and you've done the questions, spend up to 10 minutes max recording yourself, teaching it to yourself in less than 10 minutes about that chapter. Because at the end of the day, it really isn't about, did you memorize the chapter? It's about, did you, like you said, which I love that you said, understanding the basics, because then you're going to have to critically apply it to new research or new studies or new passages. So record yourself for up to 10 minutes, dumbing it down to yourself. And if you can do that, move on to the next chapter. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So um, I'm sorry, whoever uh, vocalized their last question, you can, you can do that now. Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, I, first of all, thank you guys so much. This is so cool. But um, basically, uh, when you're talking about the letters of recommendation, um, if I, let's say I apply and I don't get in it, like, should I just reuse those letters of recommendation or like, is it bad to reuse them? Uh, I just, I'm not quite sure. 
Yeah, I can take this one as someone that reapplied. Um, I reused about 75% of them. I think I got one new one. Um, you maybe should do a little bit of, of introspective thought and think, is one of these letters not like the others? Is one of these maybe a little weaker than the others? And for me, that was like one letter that I was kind of iffy on. So I've replaced it with a new letter and I ended up getting in the next year. Was that the difference? Probably not. Uh, but no, it's not going to kill you to use the same letters again. I would use the same ones again unless you get a new one during that year that you think is going to be better than the others. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Zach, where are you at? I don't want to make you late, brother. Yeah, I, I got to head out because I have to go to an anatomy cadaver lab in less than 25 minutes. So I'm going to head out. Um, You're good. Here's what we're going to do. Because I, I, you, cause you're the host here. Yes. I want you to end it. And I'm going to just jump on Instagram Live. So you guys, I'm going to do 10 minutes on Instagram Live right now. Um, would you guys throw this in the chat? Would you rather me go on Instagram Live or TikTok, TikTok Live? Um, and I'll just go on Live right now and you guys can ask me questions and I'll, I'll just take IG. Okay. All right, I'm going to jump on Instagram Live right now. Um, just join in and we'll, we'll just do like 10, 15 minutes of Q&A. Zach, you're the man. Seriously, thank you so much. For um, and thank all you guys for coming out. And listening to the podcast if i'm going to air this part uh you guys are the best and we're just so thankful and blessed to be in this situation to help you guys accomplish your dreams couldn't have said it any better thank you guys for everything and i wish you nothing but success and when you do get accepted to medical school all i ask is you should be a nice dm letting me know your story because that that makes me same so please be <laughs> same i've only had like two people do that since i started this account like four months ago come on let me know let me know <laughs> Right. Yeah, Jacob and Med is my Instagram, so I'll jump on right now. Jake Goodman, uh, not not MD, but Jacob and Med. Bye, Jake. Thank you. All right, Zach. Peace. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Destination Healthcare. If you made it this far, then hopefully you enjoyed it. If you haven't already, please consider clicking that subscribe button. If you particularly enjoyed today's episode, I'd love to receive a rating and a review from you. Unless you hated it, then maybe don't do that at all. See you guys next week.